One thing that we discovered was recruiting is very difficult when you're in stealth and much easier when you're out of stealth. We tried recruiting founding engineers before that and after that, and it was just so dramatically different. Before launch, we were having to tap our networks, um, get introductions to folks who we knew might be looking, um, and it was a very time-consuming process. It was hard for them to get excited about us compared to the other options they had because we didn't have that much visibility and that much publicity yet. My name is Lauren Long, and I am the co-founder and CTO of Ampersand. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the back end. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today how Lauren Long built the best developer platform for user-facing integrations, batteries included. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Lauren Long was originally born and raised in China and moved to Canada when she was 10. She had to learn English for the first time, which taught her to embrace hard things and challenges. She attended university in Canada and started her first company there called Boxit. Outside of tech, she is an outdoors person, unlike when she lived in China, where she was more of a city girl. She loves to hike, rock climb, and do yoga. She also loves to cook and claims she learned to cook a whole duck once, creating five meals from all the parts. Lauren was a key developer at Firebase, and post that, she started thinking about her past experiences and what areas could be improved, and she landed on integrations. Once she met her now co-founder, they realized they both were passionate about solving this problem. This is the creation story of Ampersand. So Ampersand is a developer platform that lets engineers add user-facing integrations to their SaaS app. So now if you're building a new type of SaaS, a new B2B product, you have to integrate with your customers' existing systems of truth because that's where their business data is kept. So these systems of truth include things like client relationship management tools, CRMs, they include ERPs, 
They include HR software, they include applicant tracking systems, all these places where different business data is currently being kept and where different teams are collaborating around it. But the new breed of SaaS are also having to have really great bi-directional data sync into these systems of truth so they can provide these really intelligent workflows on top, uh, these beautiful user experiences, especially with the advent of AI-based tooling. A lot of how well an AI model performs is based on the data you're pulling from. So this connectivity layer becomes kind of table stakes to get right if you're trying to create new software for businesses. Ampersand is the platform that allows builders to both build, test, and manage those data pipelines. So we are a developer-first product. We're not no-code like Zapier. That's kind of the, the first comparison people often have. So you can think of us as the connectivity of Zapier, but in a code-first, developer-first solution. So as I mentioned before, I am um, coming um, from a few years at Firebase, really enjoy building for developers. So when I was thinking about what do I build next, developer tooling was a pretty obvious choice for me. So I started thinking through all of my past experiences, all of the things I had to deal with as an engineer that I wish I could offload, and integrations was definitely top of that list. Along the way, I met my co-founder, Ion Barua, who previously also had a company. His was called Siftery, so they kind of created the category of SaaS management. And as you can imagine, a lot of integrations work needs to be built to make that product really work well. So their engineering team was really struggling under the load of having to build and maintain all these integrations. He, as the CTO of that company, had looked around the market for different solutions that could work and really couldn't find one that was powerful enough, that was flexible enough, that plugged into their developer's workflow seamlessly. So he was setting out to build that product. So when we had met, we literally were working on the exact same idea, very similar hypotheses as to how we would solve the problem better compared to what currently exists. So it was a very natural fit for us to work together and our skill set is pretty complementary. We're both technical, but he was very drawn to the go-to-market side, thinking about how do we really get this distributed? How do we get this out there? I was drawn to building developer experiences, building developer products and handling more of the engineering and product side of things. So we decided after a few months of working together on a trial basis that we would co-found together. Tell me about the MVP. So that first version of the product you built, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? So we have had several MVPs, I would say, and we were in fact still building one of our MVPs. <laughs> so the first phase of our company we're pretty new, so we only really started officially last October, so that's October of 2022. We spent the first few months just talking to engineers and product people who have built integrations. We had over 100 conversations with these people who had built in-house, who had used other products, who had hired consultants, who had already built integrations and have, have had issues with it, or they're thinking about building a new one and we were hearing about what their requirements were. So we had all these conversations to really validate our direction and validate our product hypotheses. And after we got to a point where we felt comfortable with our understanding of what was needed, we felt very validated in our direction, I then built a demo. So this was with code. Um, this was built using Firebase, <laughs> unsurprisingly, because I, I knew the tooling really well and it it was easy to get started. So that was the demo that we raised our seed round on. So we raised our seed round earlier this year. 
4.7 million led by Matrix Partners. And that seed round was another inflection point in our company. So after we raised that, we then started thinking about, okay, how do we expand our learning even more to beyond the people we've talked to so far? So Pat Malatak, who's one of the partners at Matrix, working with, he had spent a long time at Twilio. One of their philosophies at Twilio was launch the docs first, because as a developer product, your documentation is really the primary interface. So they have this practice to, before they build a product or a feature, they would do the docs and launch that first and then build after that. And we really like that philosophy. So we ended up doing the same thing. So if you now go to withamperzan.com and click on docs, you'll see our docs. So that was our second MVP, was our full documentation of what we imagined the experience to look like for the UI library, for the CLI, for our APIs. And that we had launched in April. And now we're working on our third MVP, which is the MVP we hope we can get in production that's actually a usable product that a couple of companies that we're working with, we call them design partners, could use to develop some of their integrations. So we are in the middle of building that as we speak. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. Let's move forward a little bit. How are you planning to continue to progress the product? Right, I hear you're on, you're on your you're working on your third MVP. How are you going to mature it? And and I think maybe less about like what is the next thing, but more more about how are you building your roadmap? How are you going about deciding? Okay, this is the next most important thing to build with Ampersand. 
And the full picture of time or product will be very complex because we are handling reading data, writing data, subscribing to event changes. We're handling building, test environment management, telemetry. So there's a lot to be built and we definitely can't do it all um, before our before we go live because we want to um, be live with the customer as soon as possible in order to get that learning. So we really have to figure out what the scoping is of the MVP and having docs out means we're able to have those types of scoping conversations. So with some of the design partners we're working with, we're asking them to read the docs and then we work with them to come up with the initial spec. The core artifact that our product uses is a a YAML file where all the integrations are defined. Um, You can think of it as a Terraform for integrations. That is our file, the configuration file, where our builder is defining the integrations they want, the type of data they're trying to read, write, and subscribe to, various configuration knobs they're exposing to their end users, and how they want the data to be moved to their app. So that's the, the primary file they're defining. So we just work with them to collaborate on what that file looks like. And once that's done, you know, oh, then this is how we got to build. <laughs> because of these things you've defined that you want, we need to now build the back end to support it. So that's how we're going through that exercise. Okay, let's switch to team then. I know it's early days, but how have you built or how are you going about building your team? And what do you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you? We have just welcomed our first two founding engineers. We're super excited. They're still fairly early working with us, but it's already been really positive. They've been a great addition to the team. We are hiring two more, so we are in the middle of that process with a couple of candidates. And what we're looking for is many things at the same time. Um, so, so on the technical side, I'll talk about that first. We are looking for folks who have had at least a couple of years of experience working as engineers. As an early stage company, we don't yet have the structure set up to mentor junior engineers yet, and my time is divided, so I I don't necessarily have time to fully mentor someone and give them the attention that they deserve. So that's like number one, we do have a kind of minimum kind of four-ish years of experience is what we've been looking for. And then number two is we are looking for folks who are excited to join an early stage startup. So there are, there are folks we've talked to who are great, but they're expanding their search to everything from startups to public companies to banks. And those types of folks, I think they'll, they'll likely not have the best experience if they join an early stage startup because it will be more chaotic than a bigger company. The work will be sometimes harder than at a big company. And we, at least on the cash comp, can't pay as competitively. So those folks, we tend not to focus on either. And the people we're really trying to bring on are people who are actually looking to join an early stage. They're looking for the experience of building from the ground up. They're excited by making a large impact on a product that hopefully will grow really big one day. They want to be a part of that genesis story. They want to be a part of that founding story. And folks who are very product focused. So as an early stage company, people are wearing multiple hats. Especially as a developer tooling company, we really value engineers who can also step back and think about, would I use this? How would I want this to work? And what are the decisions I can make on the engineering and product side that will make this a really delightful product for users? So we're looking for that type of product-minded quality also. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open-source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vassell edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. 
Terso makes it easy. With the developer experience of SQLite and a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech slash codestory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, CastAI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. So let's talk about scalability. And this will be interesting because it's all over the map, the answers I get. So did you build this with scale in mind or to scale efficiently from day one? Or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction in any sort of capacity? That's a great question. Um, And I think developer tooling is a very unique space because our customers are very sophisticated and a lot of them are asking questions about how we're architecting the product, what's our stack, how are we handling scalability. So scalability is definitely top of mind for our users. I think unlike maybe a B2B SaaS who's not selling to engineers, or unlike a consumer product where people are more asking product questions, our customers are asking both product questions and engineering questions to us. So we do have to be much more scalable from the get-go than other products at our stage might be. We are building with scalability in mind. That being said, you know, we are thinking kind of two to three years out of scalability. We're not thinking five, six years out at this moment, but we are building our product and choosing tools that will allow us to later tackle the five to 10 year scalability challenges and without needing full rewrite or full migration. So we are building with scalability in mind, but with a time horizon that makes sense for our stage. Okay, so as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built thus far, what are you most proud of? We are very early, so I hope there's many more things we're building that I can be proud of. But I think right now for me in this point in my journey, I'm proud of the fact that I waited long enough to work on something I was passionate about. And that was kind of a mistake I made with my first company. I was not passionate about self-storage. <laughs> we kind of worked on the company. It was because it was our third pivot. We had two very different ideas we initially tried out in the beginning that didn't quite work. And when we finally landed on the third one, that got some traction. We were just so excited about the traction that we focused on that and we started building a company around it. If I step back in time, that probably wasn't the best space for us to be in, both in terms of personal interest as well as the most scalable business model. So this time around, I've been really cautious about making sure I'm picking a space that I think has longevity as well as a space I think I can be passionate about for 10 years to come. So I think 
you know, very, very early stage of the company, so so can't point to much achievements yet. But I am excited for the space we've picked and for the product that we are building. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you've made and how you and your team respond to it. We have not yet had enough time to make big mistakes yet, but one of the mistakes we definitely made was not diversifying our banking strategy. <laughs> so we were affected by the Silicon Valley bank collapse. We had all of our money there right after the seed round, so it was a very scary few days. Luckily, we did recover all the funds, and now we've diversified. So that was definitely something I was not expecting as a part of my entrepreneurial journey. Is one of the risks I have to think about. Well, let's talk about something a little more fun then. So, what does the future look like for the product and for your team? It's early days, so I know you guys are are sprinting, running hard, working on that third MVP. What does the future look like? So, our focus for the next phase is really developer love and customer engagement. So, we do hope to make some revenue, but mostly as a signal that people like our product and are willing to pay for it, not actually to make revenue. What success will look like for us is if a few companies implement us in production, and they're rely on us. And if we took it away, they'd be extremely sad about it. So that's what we're aiming for: is that being really crucial to someone's stack and being that backbone of a part of their product. So let's switch to you, Lauren. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person, or many persons, or something that you look up to, and why. I've been really fortunate to have had some really excellent mentors in my life, especially people I've worked for in the past. So I mentioned I joined a hardware company called Nimi. The CEO Carl Martin has been one of my mentors. He still is is、uh, someone I look up to and, and chat with. So when I was coming into Nimi, one of the things I noticed right away was he had superpowers of making people feel really important and valued. And he is actually an introvert, which is I think pretty atypical for founders. But because of his introversion, I think he had this special ability to really focus on the person he's speaking to. He'll be someone who would be at a mixer, and he'll literally talk to a single person the whole night, which is very unusual. But after that. That person he was talking to feel like a million bucks and, and have this deep connection with him, and you know would would be happy to help him at any time in the future. So he was able to make those types of very deep connections. So that was really influential for me, and I definitely try to emulate that when I am recruiting, when I am with my new team members. I'm trying to make sure I'm really personally investing in their journey. Another person that's really influenced me is someone that was an advisor to my first company, Boxit. His name is Mike Murchison. He's now the CEO and co-founder of Ada, which is a unicorn company in the customer support space. So one thing that he really emphasized was to pick one big priority each day instead of having a to-do list that's mile a mile long. And the rationale was it really forces you to think about what is the most important thing I have to get done today, and you feel accomplished when you get that things done. And, and maybe you'll get your other things on your to-do list done anyways. But having that focus and that prioritization is really key.、Um, so what I do now on a lot of days is I'll have a post-it note on my desk where I'm just writing one thing down at the beginning of the day, and I try to make sure no matter what disruptions come, no matter how many meetings I have, I have that one thing that I get done. So that's really influenced the way I work, also. I know it's early days, but I'm going to ask anyway. If you could go back to the beginning, 
what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that went wrong. It could have been something that worked pretty well, but maybe you tweak it a little bit. One thing that we discovered was recruiting is very difficult when you're in stealth and much easier when you're out of stealth. Um, so we announced our seed funding and went out of stealth in April. And we tried recruiting founding engineers before that and after that. And it was just so dramatically different. The types of candidates we were able to talk to and their response to us. So before launch, we were having to tap our networks, um, get introductions to folks who we knew might be looking. Um, and it was a very time-consuming process doing sourcing like that. And also a lot of the folks we did bring on, it was hard for them to get excited about us compared to the other options they had because we didn't have that much visibility and that much publicity yet. So we weren't able to close any candidates before our coming out of stealth. And afterwards, it was a very different story. We were able to chat with many more candidates. A lot of them have self-selected to be really interested in early stage startups, really interested in developer tooling. We're able to have really high quality product conversations with them because we already have our docs online so they can already get a really good sense of what we're building and where we're heading. And we were able to close those candidates. Yeah, and I think the other thing we learned is it's okay if people know what you're building. I think one of the reasons why founders stay in stealth for so long is they're scared of competitors. They don't want other people to see what they're building and, and build the same thing or build a similar thing. And when we were actually in stealth, someone copied what we were doing. And at first we were very upset. And then later we realized actually it's okay. And they ended up pivoting in a slightly different direction anyways. After coming out of stealth, I'm sure there's people building competitors as we speak right now, but I don't think that's really going to affect our business. I think a quote that I had heard before, I forget who said it, was most startups die by suicide, not murder. So it's really just focusing on our own execution and how we're building the product that matters, not really being focused on who else is doing the same thing. So coming out of stealth was much less scary than, than we thought it was going to be, and we're really happy we did it. Okay, last question, Lauren. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit multiple times? One thing I would really encourage people to do before they embark on the journey of starting a company is to really do some introspection as to why they're doing it, what will make it a success for them because financial success in the company being successful is not guaranteed. So beyond that, what else is success? Is it learning? Is it building a product you're really passionate about? Is it building for a demographic that you feel a deep connection to? And once you identify that, what other success metrics you're looking at, you can decide if pursuing this current idea makes sense for you and aligns with that vision. Before you go and spend all of your energy on it and raise funding, think about, is this the thing that you should be spending the next 10 years of your life doing? Completely agree. Well, Lauren, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of Ampersand. Thank you. It's fun to be here. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.
save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money. 